Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Biomechanical interactions, rather than neurons, control the movements of one of the simplest animals. The discovery offers a glimpse into how animal behavior worked before neurons evolved. That's next. Imagine you're in a lab where you've synthesized ancient DNA sequences and spliced them into modern bacteria just to see how they'd react. They needed each other, but they didn't want each other. (laughs) So, you know, it was like a very complicated relationship unfolding in front of me. This isn't Jurassic Park or some sci-fi movie. I'm Steve Strogatz, and this is The Joy of Why a new podcast from Quantum Magazine that takes you into some of the biggest unanswered mysteries in science and math today. Join me on The Joy of Why as we explore these questions. We may not have all the answers yet, but I'm pretty sure the curiosity to figure them out is in our DNA. Subscribe to The Joy of Why wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every other Thursday. Physicist Manu Prakash vividly remembers the moment late one night in a colleague's laboratory a dozen years ago. He peered into a microscope and met his new obsession. The animal beneath the lenses wasn't much to look at. It resembled an amoeba more than anything else, a flattened multicellular blob, only 20 microns thick and a few millimeters across, with neither a head nor a tail. It moved on thousands of cilia that blanketed its underside to form the sticky, hairy plate that inspired its Latin name, Trichoplax adherens. This odd marine creature is classified as a placozoan. It's practically an entire branch of the evolutionary tree of life to itself, as well as the smallest known genome in the animal kingdom. But what intrigued Prakash most was the well-orchestrated grace, agility, and efficiency with which the thousands to millions of cells in trichoplax moved. Such coordination usually requires neurons and muscles, and trichoplax has neither. Prakash later teamed up with Matthew Storm Bull, then his graduate student at Stanford University. They made this strange organism the star of an ambitious project aimed at understanding how neuromuscular systems might have evolved and how early multicellular creatures managed to move, find food, and reproduce before neurons existed. Or as Prakash says, jokingly often called this neuroscience without neurons. He and Bull simultaneously posted a trio of preprints, totaling more than 100 pages, on the archive.org server last year. They showed that the behavior of trichoplax could be described entirely in the language of physics and dynamical systems. Mechanical interactions began at the level of a single cilium and then multiplied over millions of cells and extended to higher levels of structure. This fully explained the coordinated locomotion of the entire animal. The organism doesn't choose what to do. Instead, the horde of individual cilia simply moves, and the animal as a whole performs as though it's being directed by a nervous system. 
The researchers even showed that the cilia's dynamics exhibit properties that are commonly seen as distinctive hallmarks of neurons. The work not only demonstrates how simple mechanical interactions can generate incredible complexity, but also tells a compelling story about what might have predated the evolution of the nervous system. Here's Orit Pelig of the University of Colorado Boulder, who wasn't involved in the studies. Just the amount of work that they put into that very specific question with a really specific model system, going from the behavior of individual cilia, how they synchronize with each other, and how that leads to a collective motion of the cilia, and then eventually to the motion of the organism itself, I think is just incredibly impressive. And it's kind of like a tour de force of biophysics. The findings have already started to inspire the design of mechanical machines and robots, and perhaps even a new way of thinking about the role of nervous systems in animal behavior. Brains are overrated. Here's Matthew Stormbull. A brain is something that only works in the very specific context of its body. Said another way, you can put the same controller on different bodies, if you will, Let's say our controller is just a DC motor that's driving at a constant speed. And then if we put a wheel on that DC motor, we'll expect the organism, quote unquote, to move forward at a constant speed. But if we put a stick on that motor, you now have something that is walking with each step. And so the instantiation of what behavior you actually see is really importantly the composite of both the controller in this case, the brain or whatever, and the physical instantiation. In the fields known as soft robotics and active matter, research has demonstrated that the right mechanical dynamics can be all that's needed to accomplish complex tasks without centralized control. In fact, single cells alone are capable of remarkable behaviors. They can self-assemble into collective systems such as slime molds or xenobots that can then achieve even more, all without the help of neurons or muscles. But is that possible at the scale of an entire multicellular animal? Trichoplax was a perfect case study, simple enough to study in painstaking detail, but also complicated enough to offer something new to researchers. Prakash says it's interesting to observe. You just watch a dance. <laughs> there is a periodicity to it, this incredible complexity. There are no heads and tails. And the extreme scenario of this motility behavior is half the organism will make a decision to go one way and the other half the other way. And that's how the clonality, asexual reproduction happens. It spins and moves across surfaces. It clamps itself down over patches of algae to trap and consume them for food. Christy Wan, a researcher at the University of Exeter in England who studies ciliary locomotion, says an organism like this sits between something that's really complex and something that's just becoming complex. 
a middle ground between single cells and animals with muscles and nervous systems seemed like the perfect place for Prakash and Bull to ask their questions. Prakash says it's a playground for testing hypotheses and a cradle of potential insight. To me, an organism is an idea. Prakash first built novel microscopes that could examine trichoplaques from below and from the side and figured out how to track the high-speed movement of its cilia. He could then see and track millions of individual cilia. So what you observe is you see cilia as essentially a tiny kind of a little spark. It's a tiny line that shows up in your field of view and then it disappears because it's actually walking. You're just seeing the footprints as they land on the surface. He, and later Bull, who joined his lab six years ago, spent hours watching patterns in those little footprints. There is an orientation to it, just like your shoe would land on a substrate. And if you were watching a person from the bottom and you just see the shoe, you would see an orientation to the shoe. That's the cilia. But now suddenly you also notice that the dynamical patterns that are changing One of the most common one that we describe, but there are actually many patterns, is this vortex pattern. You will notice a defect, and that defect implying the fact that there is a single point around which there is a vortex, there is this chiral structure. But now that point is not fixed, the defect is completely motile, and so the entire animal might be rotating for some time while all the cilia if you go around that curve, are along these contours of these circles, suddenly this defect would move. And similarly, all of the corresponding cilia would turn. For these complex patterns to be possible, the scientists knew that the cilia must be engaging in some kind of long-distance communication. But they didn't know how. So they started putting together the pieces. And last year, they finally decided they had their story. Prakash and Bull started off expecting the cilia to glide over surfaces with a thin layer of fluid separating animal and substrate. After all, cilia are typically seen in the context of fluids, propelling bacteria or other organisms through water, or moving mucus or cerebrospinal fluids in a body. But when the researchers looked through their microscopes, they saw that the cilia seemed to walk, not swim. Juan says while some single-celled organisms have been known to use cilia to crawl, this kind of coordination had never been observed at this scale. She says rather than using cilia to propel fluid, it's all about mechanics, friction, and adhesion, and all kinds of interesting solid mechanics. So Prakash, Bull, and Laurel Crew, a Stanford graduate student in mechanical engineering, set out to characterize the cilia's walking gait. They traced the trajectory of the tip of each individual cilium over time, watching it sweep out circles and push against surfaces. They defined three types of interactions. There was slipping, during which the cilia barely grazed the surface, walking when the cilia adhered to the surface briefly before popping off, and stalling when the cilia got stuck against the surface. 
In their models, the walking activity emerged naturally from the interplay between the internal driving forces of the cilia and the energy of their adhesion to the surface. Those two parameters are calculated from experimental measurements of the cilia's orientation, heat, and beat frequency. And the right balance between those two parameters resulted in regular locomotion, with each cilium sticking and then lifting away, like a leg. The wrong balance produced the slipping or stalled phases. Simon Sponberg is a biophysicist at the Georgia Institute of Technology. What you see is that the individual cilia sort of go through this cycling that's very reminiscent of kinematic gait of our legs moving when we move. And we usually think like when we have something going on like that, that we have an internal clock-like signal that's saying, okay, go, now stop, now go, now stop, right? But you don't necessarily need that. We oftentimes think about it like a simple model of the limb is that I build up activity to one muscle and then I turn down that activity and build up activity to another muscle that swings my leg forward. So that I have this sort of like clock-like periodic generation by the nervous system. So even if the nervous system is not responding to the environment much, it's creating this sort of feed forward pattern of activity where it's going, okay, go, 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 go. That's not what's happening here. The cilia aren't getting paced. There's not some central thing that's saying, go, go, go. Instead, Sponberg says the mechanical interactions are setting up something that goes, goes, goes. The walking could be modeled as an excitable system, a system in which, under certain conditions, signals spread and get amplified rather than progressively damping out and coming to a stop. A neuron is a classic example of an excitable system. Small voltage perturbations can cause it to fire suddenly, and above some threshold, the new stimulated state propagates to the rest of the system. The same phenomenon seemed to occur in the cilia. In experiments and simulations, small perturbations in height led to relatively large changes in the activity of nearby cilia. They could suddenly change their orientation and even switch from a stalled state to a walking one. Prakash, Bull, and Cruz cilia models turned out to map very well onto established models for action potentials in neurons. Here's Bull. This kind of unique phenomena admits itself to a very interesting analogy with what you see in the nonlinear dynamics of single neurons. Sponberg agrees that it's a similar model. You sort of build it up and then pop, you go through this transition, and then you get back to this stalled stage and then pop you get excited out of it and you go through it. With this mathematical description in hand, Prakash and Bull looked at how each cilium pushed and pulled on its neighbors as it interacted with the surface and how all that independent activity could coalesce into something synchronized and coherent. They measured how the mechanical gait of each cilium led to small local fluctuations in the height of the tissue. They then wrote down equations for how this would tug at nearby cells to affect their behavior, even as the cilia on those cells cycled through movements of their own, like a network of springs tying together tiny oscillating motors. Prakash calls this the dance between elasticity and activity. 
When the researchers modeled it, they saw that the mechanical interactions of cilia pushing against a substrate and cells tugging at each other transmitted information rapidly across the organism. Stimulating one region led to waves of synchronized cilia orientation that moved through the tissue. Here's Prakash. This elasticity and strain and mapping of this physics of a walking cilia, but now multiplied by millions of them in a sheet, actually gives rise to coherent motile behavior. And the synchronized orientation patterns could be complex. Sometimes the activity of the system produced vortices, with the cilia oriented around a single point. In other cases, the cilia reoriented in fractions of a second, first pointing one way and then another, flocking like a school of fish, and resulting in an agility that made it possible for the animal to sometimes change direction on a dime. Here's Bull. This flocking behavior really comes from the fact that as your single cilia have a tendency to reorient, that was one of the main discoveries of this paper, was experimentally we were just jaws on the floor surprised when we first saw these cilia reorienting in second timescales. So we took this basically reorientation timescale and we asked the question like, what is the value of having this reorientation timescales being so fast? The agile flocking was particularly intriguing. Flocking typically occurs in systems that act like fluids. Individual birds and fish, for example, can freely exchange positions with their companions. But that can't happen in trichoplaques because its cilia are components of cells that have fixed positions. Ricard Alert is a physicist at the Max Planck Institute for the Physics of Complex Systems in Germany. Without inertia, there shouldn't be waves. Imagine a wave on a pond. Imagine that you throw a stone. And so you are moving the surface of the water downward locally. And then if there were no inertia, then the surface of the water would just relax back to being flat. Now, because there is inertia, the surface of the water overshoots the flat state. And then it does it repeatedly. And so hence you get waves. Originally in the field of active matter in flocking, people predicted that there would be waves even if there's no inertia. That was surprising. Now what they're doing is they're showing a similar thing, but instead of showing it on a fluid flock, they show it on a solid flock. Because what they say is, you know, we have all of the cilia, but actually the tissue is behaving as an elastic solid. Prakash and Bull also found in their simulations that the information transmission was selective. After certain stimuli, the energy injected into the system by the cilia just dissipated instead of spreading and changing the organism's behavior. Or as biophysicist Simon Sponberg says, If you think of being selectively responsive to your environment, that's really a hallmark of life. And we use our brains to do that all the time, right? You watch with your eyes and recognize the situation around you and you say, okay, I need to either ignore that or respond to that. So you're making a lot of these decisions about what to be responsive and what to be stable to in your environment. Eventually, Prakash and Bull found that they could write down a set of mechanistic rules for when trichoplaques might spin in place or move about in lopsided circles, when it might follow a straight path or suddenly veer to the left, and when it might even use its own mechanics to rip itself into two separate organisms. Here's Prakash again. The story becomes really interesting because you can really think about 
oh, I don't have to be thinking about every single cilia, but now I could think about just what is the dynamics of this defect and how the dynamics of this is controlled in a manner to give rise to complex locomotory behaviors, which eventually become trajectories for the animals themselves. That trajectory literally is encoded. Prakash speculates that the animal might be taking advantage of these spinning and crawling dynamics as part of a run-and-tumble strategy for finding food or other resources in its environment. When the cilia align, the organism may run, continuing in the direction that just yielded something beneficial. When that resource seems to run out, trichoplax might use its ciliary vortex state to turn and chart a new course. If further studies show that's true, it could be exciting for researchers. The mechanism would be bridging scales, not just from a molecular structure to a tissue to an organism, but to ecology as well. In fact, for many researchers, that's a big part of what makes this work unique and compelling. Usually, physics-based approaches to biological systems might describe activity at one or two scales of complexity, but not at the level of behavior for an entire animal. Even more gratifying, at each of these scales, the mechanics taps into principles that echo the dynamics of neurons. You remember Simon Sponberg. So it's sort of what is not in the model that's important to recognize here. What's not in the model is some kind of neural control. This model is purely mechanical. So everything has to respond to forces and just, you know, pull and tug on those. So if something happens over here, it creates a mechanical effect, but that mechanical effect has to propagate through the system. Nonetheless, the system as a whole still has a lot of these properties that we associate with neuromechanical systems. It's built on a foundation of excitability. It's constantly striking a careful balance between sensitivity and stability, and it's capable of complex collective behaviors. This is where a lot of other work has sort of laid the groundwork for this how far can mechanical systems take you, and they can take you really far. That has implications for how neuroscientists think about the connection between neural activity and behavior more generally. If mechanics alone can fully account for some simple behaviors, then neuroscientists may want to look more closely at how the nervous system takes advantage of an animal's biophysics to pull off complex behaviors in other situations. Sponberg says what the nervous system is doing may not be what we thought it was doing. Researcher Christy Wan says looking at trichoplax can give us insights into what it took to actually evolve more complex control mechanisms like muscles and nervous systems. Wan says this could be the next best thing. Physicist Ricard Alert agrees. It's such a simple way of having organismal behaviors such as agility that maybe that's the way it emerged early on through evolution, before neural systems were developed. Maybe what we're seeing is just, you know, a, a living fossil of what used to be the norm back then. Prakash, Bull, and their collaborators are now looking at whether trichoplax might be capable of other kinds of behaviors or even learning. What else might it achieve in different environmental contexts? Would considering its biochemistry in addition to its mechanics open up another level of behavior? The researchers are also using some of the principles they uncovered to build what they call perceptive machines, 
robotic systems and smart materials that perform certain tasks without centralized control by exploiting their mechanical properties. Here's Prakash again. One thing that Matt and I are passionate about is literally build perceptive mechanical machines. And now we have a blueprint borrowed from the system and we can add a lot to it just from our imagination and creativity as well. Students in Prakash's laboratory have already started to build working examples of those machines. For instance, Crew has constructed a robotic swimming device driven by a viscoelastic material called active foam. When it's placed in non-Newtonian fluids, like cornstarch suspensions, it can propel itself forward. Orit Peleg says we can dream big. How grand is do you want to go? <laughs> Peleg wonders if it's possible to build a brain from these kinds of mechanical networks. Prakash sees this as just the first chapter in what will likely be a decades-long saga. These, to me, are like expeditions. Really trying to understand this animal is almost personally, to me, a 30-40 year journey. Prakash says they finished their first decade. He says it's the end of one era and the start of another. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowitz's full article, This Animal's Behavior is Mechanically Programmed, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication supported by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science.